Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Roman, an engineering manager at Uber, right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So how did you first get into technology? You played video games or how, how did you get into it? I don't remember exactly. Yeah, so that was uh, video games. Uh, that was some ancient computers, which you have to just uh, use the iron to build together all this uh, microcontroller stuff and so on. So that was very long time ago. So your title, your position, you're an engineering manager at Uber? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. What's going on in the engineering manager space? Uh, so that's that's kind of interesting because uh, I would say this position appeared like a three, four years ago. So if you check Stack Overflow developer reports, you could see that like a few years ago, they, uh, they didn't have this position. And then last two reports, I think it appeared. And I believe that, first of all, engineer manager is a, uh, first or second line manager. So it's just the usual manager, people manager. But at the same time, on this position, you have to know something about technology. And better if you have some real hands-on experience. And you can code, you can read code, you can write code, you can talk with people, uh, with engineers, with developers, you can persuade them, uh, you could arguing with them, I'm not sure, finding the best architecture, and so on. So this is about engineer manager, because usually uh, these are completely two different um, branches. So one is the developers, engineers, like hands-on people, and the second is a manager. So usually managers uh, don't require to be uh, like uh, very technical people. But nowadays, uh, you have to understand engineers and you could demonstrate the better results when you understand uh, people, when you understand your developers, and you could provide the better input, you could provide advice, and you could direct them in a proper way. So that's why uh, this is kind of mixed. But essentially, this is a very similar to CDO. So CDO in a small company, it's engineer manager because he has to review code, he has to understand architecture, he has to understand like a complex engineering problems that he solves, and uh, he has to, in the same time, to work with engineers directly. So essentially, in the big companies, it's engineer manager. And then, so then the person you would report to would be like a director. Yeah. And so then what is the director, like, what's your relationship like there? Like, what, what's the difference between the director's responsibilities in your world and your responsibilities? So uh, I'm a first-line manager. Sometimes engineer managers is also second-line managers. Uh, and director is always a second-line manager. And also uh, director always manages budget. So I think this is this is the biggest difference. So uh, I have some budget, but uh, usually I don't make decisions regarding headcounts. So I could generate those headcounts, like I have new initiative, I have new project, I have some important stuff to work on, and I need additional people. So director is the person who approves that. So he look at my feature. Uh, he he asked me about maybe how many how much money would it generate. Uh, or what would be the profit for the company, benefit, value, 
And then after this, he could make a decision, okay, I have this budget for the headcounts and I could provide you this amount of people, additional amount of people. So this is director. And also reports to CDO or VP. So you actually put together like financial cases, like business cases. Yes. And where did you learn to do that? I don't know. Experience. Many different other companies. I don't know. I've been CEO. I've been CEO. Uh, I've been director. Uh, I had own business, own company. So maybe ah. based on this. There you go. Yep. That's where you'll get it too, right? You have to, when you have to make your own business work, you get really comfortable with, with that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So what are some of the, the challenges you're facing today as an engineering manager? Uh, I believe the same, very, very similar. Maybe uh, I have a bit more limited amount of challenges, but at the same time, you know, the I would say work process in a huge company and work process in a small company. So when you are a business owner, it's very different. So in a small company, you are responsible for everything, like from setting up websites, uh, doing some HTML, JavaScript, you hate it, but you have to do this because you cannot delegate this to anyone else. Uh, and at the same time, you have to spend time of communicating with customers, with your clients, with maybe stakeholders, with your board members, investors, and so on. And when you work in a, a huge company, all of the processes, they are pre-described. So it's kind of hiring process, it's well-described process. Updating the website, it's not my business, I, I won't do that. So maybe some uh, sales uh, or marketing, you have to do this, but it's internal stuff more, and you have people to do this. So writing docs, you have a tech writer, I'm not sure. So it's, it's a bit more convenient, and you could focus on the things that you like to do. So manage people, do some architectural stuff, do some coding if you want, uh, do communications a lot. So this is this is about it. I would say you can be you can stay focused, more focused. So do you ever purchase like like in your position, would you ever purchase like leadership training for your direct reports? Uh, so um, HR department actually responsible for this. And in theory, yeah, I could recommend like a, I took part in this training and this is like a very good one. I would recommend this one and please contact them and provide something like this. So we, we have a lot of different trainings here, actually a lot. So we have HBS training, which is pretty good one. So Harvard Business School, I think it's also leadership or something. Plus additional more, so Jehana trainings. And also our HR department from time to time, they do such kind of trainings. So typically the HR department would work with you and say, yes. hey, we've got this content. We want you to run it with your managers. And you would go through the training like with your people? Uh, so usually they have a list of people that they send. So sometimes we have, of course, we have mandatory trainings like... Uh, I'm not sure, anti-money laundering uh, or I'm not sure, o OFIQ status check, uh, anti-fraud uh, anti trainings and so on. So those are uh, mandatory by law. But also there are some optional trainings uh, and I could push people to take part in those trainings. Like, uh, for example, the same leadership. So e, I have uh, people development plan for every engineer and manager and then I just go through the, these plans and check whether they do have like a, 
uh, leadership training, and then I would advise them to go to HR. Or I, if I have a list of trainings from our HR department, I could just point this guy to, okay, this is this is in your development plan, so please take part in this training. Because technology leaders, they are either technology or leaders. So that's it's but some of them make the it. transition. You and I made the transition, and it's yeah, it's hard yeah. to. There's a lack of resources that are really good. Like I found that there's a lot of good books, right? Like I've got a bunch of books over there, like, you know, measure what matters, managing humans, modern CTO. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but what I found was I'd read the books and there's lots of great information, but, but there was a lack of like, how do I actually implement it? Right? Like if I hear a concept about giving credit to my team or I, I hear a management concept, about transparency, like how do I actually implement it? But I am curious because I like get, getting knowledge out of knowledgeable people. So, what is your? How do you develop that people development plan? Do you use like a software, or do you have like a template in Google Docs? Uh, like, how, what, what so is it? Personally, I use just Google Docs, but recently we got an access to some software where you could point, uh, where you could just fill your own personal development plan, and it would be sent to your manager. So, uh, but generally, for example, last year I used personal uh, just the Google Google's uh, spreadsheet, as far as I remember, and I just put there like uh, three skills that I want to improve, and then I discussed those skills with my manager, so how I could improve them, so what would be the plan, uh, what kind of actions I should perform to reach those goals that I said before, and. Then we, during our one-on-ones and during my one-on-ones with my uh, direct reports, we just go through this list from time to time, just get back to this and check where we are at the moment. So have we reached something? And sometimes I just push people like, okay, you said this public speaking skills improvements. So we are going to, to organize some kind of conference or the local meetup. And you should take part in this to improve this skill. So please prepare yourself. I could help you with that. And then just push him a bit. Oh, that's awesome. So you're there to help, you know, coach them along and inspire them yeah. and get them. Yeah, yeah. This is this is essential part because engineers uh, kind of, sometimes they don't like to move forward. They need to, some help with this. So you have to push them help them, coach them, train and inspire to do some things. Yeah. And then I've also found like if you figure out, you know, what they want, what's driving them and you can somehow connect that to their growth, then they can see the path clearer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So understanding and building the trust, understanding what drives them, it's a it's a pretty good so it's like kind of essential part of being a people manager. So what's the, like, what are you excited about right now? Like what's going on in in your career, in your world that you're really, really pumped up about? Uh, So I would say the switching from uh, mid-sized business to the big size enterprise business uh, changed a lot in my career because before this, my previous position was the same as general manager. So before I was director in some startup, then uh, engineer manager in Unicorn. And then we went to IPO and now we are like a big enterprise company. So the approach and the way how small, medium-sized business work and the huge-sized business work is a bit different. And actually, this 
people around me, very smart people, very experienced people. And the way how you could learn every day some new things, uh, the way how you could imitate your work by looking at others, because the essential part of learning is not only reading some books and taking part in courses, but also imitating. So just copying what others do and doing the same and trying to reach the same. And it's much easier when you work in the same organization with a very experienced person. So you could just go to his meeting or when you report to him directly, you could just see what how he does, what he do, uh, what he does every day. So uh, what he's looking for, like uh, what he's focusing on. And you could just do the same and see how it goes with you. So would that resonate with your approach? And what are the pros and cons of this approach? So it's much easier and it's much, much easier to learn in such, in such, in such things, in such cases. So that, yeah. that is, that has changed in my life because before this, it was a bit hard to learn by imitation and it was uh, less maybe a very powerful and very experienced leaders. And now I has access, I have access to, to more interesting people, I would say. You know, I think that's a, a big reason why the podcast works so well. It's because I get to have on all these different diverse types of technology leaders and we share, you know, how we handle different situations and people can, you know, it's a superpower that we don't talk much about, like the monkey see, monkey do. The fact yeah. that you can read a book by an author and then you have the capacity to think like them. That is something that like we don't talk much about publicly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And now you could also apply this feedback loop. Like I tried this thing and then it doesn't work. So what I did wrong. So could you could you help me with improving that? So for example, I introduced KPIs in my team. I introduced like a dashboards, and unfortunately, it went well. And it went wrong. Like if something didn't happen. And could you take a look? So you could just ask this leader and take a look at my thing and then just provide the feedback, like what I should improve here or what, what went wrong. So he could just point to specific exact points and, and then I could fix. So this is like a, the, the benefit that I have here. So I've got a weird question for you. So I, I obviously like when I travel, I use you know, Uber and then I have, you know, like Google Maps and things like that. But I notice like when I'm in cities, the thing like bounces around a little bit, like with any GPS location data service on my phone. Have you ever explored like why that happens? Do you, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that are like cringing right now. They're like, you idiot. Of course that happens because of this reason. But I'm always curious, like, do you know why that happens? So... You are talking about uh, why you are getting the wrong position all the time, or you saw this like uh, uh, the the map is bouncing from one uh, area to another area when you just don't move. So yeah, like if I'm in between buildings so or something, it's, it's usually because of the GPS uh, nature. So when you don't see the clear sky, uh, you always will have such kind of problems. So this is about the signal is being mirrored, uh, reflected from buildings, and that's why uh, your your device just go goes mad because of this, because of the reflected signal from different buildings. And it doesn't oh. get the, the proper data on itself. And that's why... Uh, so the, the, the problem is that 
uh, it measures uh, the the distance and measures the time difference between the signals, and it also tries to measure the speed of the satellite above you, actually four satellites. And when when the signal is uh, reflected from different buildings, and it just goes crazy and uh, show you the wrong date. It happens usually in mountains and in cities. The That's big interesting. The whole technology about GPS is kind of amazing. It's amazing. First of all, like no no complaints here. I'm, and again, like I was just entered. You know, I'm an engineer. Like I'm just interested in like the curiosity. I guess the first, like my first thing was like, why isn't there a solution where? like it can revert back to like your accelerometer and your device. It's probably because all devices don't have those things. Uh, actually, accelerometer appears uh, on the devices even earlier than GPS. So oh, really? That was, yeah, that was a long time ago. I even remember it was the old Motorola based on some the operating system, and it has accelerometer, but it does not have uh, a GPS in it. But, you know, the problem with accelerometer... Uh, actually, there were such devices as tracking your kind of GPS by accelerometers. But first of all, accelerometers should be very precise. And uh, for very precise accelerometers, the size of it should be pretty huge. So it's kind of a massive one. And uh, such kind of accelerometers you can find in some military technique, like, like a military car, uh, in some um, planes and maybe some other devices like uh, rockets and so on. So they use this kind of accelerometers for tracking their position. But uh, in mobile device, it's not so precise. This is the first problem. And the second problem that uh, during the time, uh, all these uh, errors, that would uh, they would sum up all the time. So if, just, if we just lost some maybe angle, maybe some acceleration or something, and this error, uh, every time it would be made, it would be summed up into like a huge amount of data, and then the, the precise would be kind of mess. That's why accelerometers are not used. But uh, most recent accelerometers, I think, they are precise enough and small enough that, can, that they could be used, especially for... Uh, in building uh, position, so yeah, that's what's that's the, the next problem for GPS. Yeah, yeah. What's the answer? Like, how do you how, do you just put up more towers like in between the buildings? Is there some solution like in building GPS? Like, what's the what's the solution to that? Like, when we look, I believe that in ten years we're not going to have this problem, right? I just wonder like where where the solution is going to lie. Um. Uh, I, I would say it would be intersection between accelerometers, between uh, the cellular stations, because, for example, in the city, you could base your position on, uh, you could find your position based on cellular station. So cell stations, there are many of them inside a city, and you could just track. Uh, so usually uh, your uh, device tracks around three different, cell stations nearby and actually you could run this triangulation between them and find out where you are exactly uh, and now gps uses uh, this uh, positioning by cell stations so it's called i think hot start so when it sees the nearby uh, cell station it could somehow detect your like uh, uh, initial position and then 
then just make it more precise based on GPS signals from satellites. So this this is called AGPS technology. And I would say after AGPS, it would be the next one. It would be based on uh, accelerometer of your device, in theory. And inside building positioning system, it's a bit different because uh, there are no beacons, uh, like a Bluetooth beacons that could be set inside the building. And also, uh, I believe that uh, there are uh, positioning system based on Wi-Fi signals on public Wi-Fi networks. So, but I don't know anything about that a lot, actually. So this is not. You this sound is not like very my, knowledgeable. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is not area of my interest. That I just heard something and I played a bit like 15 years ago with this positioning by cell stations in the past. So we were working on this uh, product a long time ago. So what's your area of interest? What's your area of expertise? Uh, for now, I'm focused more on, I would say, web applications, uh, backend API, some uh, sure microcontrollers. This is my hobby. So all kind of Raspberry Pi, Arduino, STM, and so on. Uh, and what are you building management. there? So just just the small things, uh, I don't know. So for Raspberry Pi, it's just uh, uh, some uh, multimedia system for my TV on Arduino. I just built in some uh, small devices with my daughter to just show how does it work and demonstrate the principles behind that. Well, that's pretty cool. How old is your daughter? Uh, I have three daughters. So the oldest oh, wow. one is uh, nine years, nine, four, and seven months. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so you were teaching her some of the Arduino stuff and... Yeah, electronics and so on. Physics, Dude, electronics. So cool. Yeah. We did not have like the kits when I was a kid. Like you did not have anything close to like what that would be today. It's amazing what we have. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. The, the time is very different. So uh, my daughter, is, she just doesn't believe that I was born before internet. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just told her once, okay, so when I was young, there were no internet at all. And she was like, come on. And <laughs> what 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 have you been using the, back days? So what you were using? So how, how did you get those books, those information, those YouTube? Have you seen YouTube? No. <laughs> so that was like, a, I don't know. So for her, it was a huge surprise. Like, how do, how, how do people live that? The educational material is so much better. I mean, when I started programming, there was just, there wasn't, well, the computer I was on wasn't hooked up to the internet. And there were just stacks of, of thick programming books. And I would remember I would sit on one of the books so I could sit up more <laughs> at the at the uh at the computer, but you would just work your way through boring and they weren't written wonderfully. Now there's so many great authors that explain things. They were like more like manuals. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. The approach is very different nowadays and the access to those materials. So we had as far as I remember, we had to go to, to the library to get some books. And now it's it's on your fingers. You just type something on your iPhone, on your tablet, and now you have it. So do you want a different format? Not a problem. Podcasts, uh, YouTube channels, uh, any kind of, like even games with this uh, teaching programming skills. So not a problem at all. What do you think about 
uh, Google console controller thing. Have you played with that at all? Uh, which one? Google Stadia? I think called, yeah, I think it's called Stadia. Yeah. So I played with Stadia uh, when they presented it. It was Google I.O. So during Google I.O., I took part in, in most recent two or three Google I.O. conferences. So uh, they, they presented it, and actually I played with this during the presentation. It was cool, but I had some concerns regarding the channel bandwidth because they mentioned that uh, it's 25 megabits enough for the channel, but I was wondering what would be the quality of the video game because essentially you should have a very, very huge bandwidth channel together, like a 4K video uh, into and also i was wondering about latency but during demo it was good enough so i would say even it was a bit weird to play uh it was assassin creed as far as i remember on chromebook so it's like a very <laughs> thin very lightweight it's it's less than uh, 500 grams chromebook and you could play uh, like a 3a video game with a very extensive graphics on this Chromebook and no fans, no additional uh, cooling system attached to this Chromebook. And it was like, come on, it's not possible. But then, okay, it works and it's it's good enough to play. So, and a couple of my friends are playing. Uh, so they, they, they do play. And uh, I also asked about their experience, like, like what you guys think about this. And it seems like some of them already spend uh, like a dozen hours playing different games through Stadia and they show it's a pretty good experience so no issues no lags sometimes they have a bad picture and their channel which is not very good internet channel uh getting like uh, some gaps lags and so on but in general the overall experience is pretty good so are you playing any games lately or no uh actually i'd love to play something but i don't have time me either <laughs> so i want like a window shopping oh that's a nice game check the review okay i have to play in this and then just postpone this i know no me too and then i asked my friends and they're like yeah we're working and building things and i'm like yeah me too like I just spent such a large chunk of my life playing video games like when I was young and it's just like, I guess it's just, you get out of it and you get into other things. Then, you know, I like, I enjoy writing. Like I know you enjoy the people leadership stuff, part of your work. I, I enjoy like that. I enjoy writing. Um, and I enjoy like playing the guitar. Do you, what, what type of, and then of course, like even trying to have hobbies with kids is like tough. <laughs> Or at least new kids. But uh, what do you do for, for fun other than spend time with the family and, and work on engineering projects? Uh, I think that's all, essentially. So I'm also driving the local uh, GDG community. So I'm, uh, I've am i been a GDG lead for four or five years. So I'm pretty fond of it. Uh, I love to make conferences, uh, so like a small, big ones, take part in conferences, uh, give talks. And I think, yeah, that's all, essentially. Snowboarding. Well, what's GDG? GDG, Google Developer Group. Oh, okay, so cool. It's, it's why I have, every year I have this free ticket to Google I.O. and I could go there, sit on the near the stage, and then just take part in this event. 
that's why I have this privilege. So getting to, to run the local group, you get to meet a lot of great people? Sometimes, yes. So sometimes we have a chance to invite some people outside, um, like uh, Google experts, and then just spend time with them and then just, I don't know, ask questions and so on. That's pretty cool. I'm just curious, what does the average like day look like for you? It's an interesting question. So it depends. So like a year ago, it was a bit different from what I have now. And because I try to optimize my day, I try to optimize my week as a whole. So uh, finally, I came to the point that I have a, um, a couple of different work threads. So one work thread is to imagine uh, all the tickets, to imagine all the emails, uh, making sure that everything is assigned to the people, to my developers, engineers, and so on. Uh, the second work thread is... Um, uh, regular meetings, like one-on-ones, sync up meetings, retrospective, uh, planning, grooming meetings, uh, and reporting meetings. So I have them planned up front, uh, like a week ago, week, week up front usually. And uh, the third thread is uh, communications, like ad hoc communications. So for example, like an hour ago, I had a meeting and I figured out that one of the projects could be done in a different way or we have a good opportunity. So that's why I'm just trying to a bit chaotically organize some of the meetings, write some documents and so on. So usually it's just the three threads. <laughs> oh, nice. I threads. like how you separate that into threads. I haven't heard that before. It sounds really smart too. Yeah, so it consumes less time and I could switch between them. So first of all, I have a schedule in my calendar. I know when and what I should work on, when I should focus on something. And also it's it's very good because I have kids nearby of me and I know exactly when I'm available, when I'm not available, when I have meetings, when I have to focus on this one, when I could just postpone this one, like uh, work on this next hour and so on. So this this make keep me uh, organized and focused on the things because, as I said, with this uh, mandatory work from home, it's a bit hard to stay focused. And this way of organization helps a lot to make sure that everything is consistent and you are delivering whatever is expected from you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.